What's been the most under-discussed preseason storyline that fantasy football managers should be aware of? That and more in this week's Fantasy Football News Desk podcast. I am joined by the esteemed Zach Hanshu on Twitter, at Zach the Monster. And Zach, what is the most under-discussed preseason storyline going on right now? What's up, man? I appreciate you calling me esteemed. I've never never been called something so nice before. Uh, for me, man, it, it's definitely got to be just how terrible uh, the Giants are looking this year. Um, you know, horrible in the preseason. They're dealing with about 50 different injuries uh, to skill position players. Um, you know, they traded back from number 11 to number 20, uh, you know, to give up Justin Fields to get Kadarius Tony And, you know, Fields has just looked awesome in the preseason. And I think that's definitely kind of casting even more of a negative light on just how bad the Giants are looking. Daniel Jones still looks like he has, you know, decision-making um, thing. He, you know, he threw that uh, interception in the red zone the other day. Uh, he just doesn't look like a franchise quarterback from what we've seen. Um, it, they just look like they're going to be a mess this year, the offensive line too. So that's my biggest takeaway right now. I mean, we didn't think they were going to explode, but definitely thought they'd take a step forward and it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. I think so often in the preseason with training camp, it's a lot of, you know, kind of hype season and we're trying to build up players values and, you know, say, Oh, everyone's too low on this guy, but your giants takeaway. I like it because it's a reminder of, you know, not necessarily just like a player or two to fade, but kind of a, a team as a whole to fade which you think about the New York Giants roster. Yes, I agree with you. There are some serious Daniel Jones concerns. There's injury concerns to all the skill players. On top of that, they have Jason Garrett calling their plays. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be investing premium fantasy draft capital in a Jason Garrett-led offense this year. Absolutely, man. Uh, so for me, Saquon Barkley is kind of a guy that has fallen down my rankings a bit. I mean, he's still in the top 10 just because if you're a guy that can catch 80 to 90 passes, I mean, hell, J.D. McKissick did that last year and he was a viable option. I mean, but you're still you're still not going to pay up a top three or a top five price for a guy that is probably going to be running behind one of the worst offensive lines in football. Scoring opportunities are going to be few and far between. So I agree with you, man. I'm not paying a premium for anybody on this offense. Um I'm going to be looking for a lot of value probably in somebody like a Sterling Shepard who's going in the 16th round of drafts right now. And I mean, basically free right at the end of your draft for a guy that could be the targets leader with everybody else, you know, in the receiving court kind of dinged up right now. Yeah, we're in the prime kind of of redraft season, I guess, is what you could call it right now. A lot of people's drafts already probably just took place this past weekend or they're taking place you know, the upcoming Labor Day weekend. Saquon is such a, uh, you know, someone I really uh, like in this space of the fantasy football industry is Adam Levitan of Established to Run. He calls it the water cooler topic, you know, talking about the first round, the second round. That's what, you know, all your casual fantasy football fans like to discuss. So kind of just like with that idea and translating that to Saquon, if you were giving advice to people, you know, drafting coming up, are you thinking Saquon, like the one-two turn is a comfortable spot you'd be taking him? Because before before all this, you know, knee stuff and Giants demise, he was he was more like locked in top five. 
Yeah, I I think he his value has definitely fallen uh, the longer the preseason has gone along, and I, I do think part of that is just because of how bad the Giants look. Uh, you're not going to feel confident taking him. Uh, I don't know, man. The one-two turn for me is, at, at that point, I, I would prefer like an Austin Eckler or a DeAndre Hopkins, Calvin Ridley. I, at that point, that's kind of the guys that I'm looking at. Uh, maybe if Devontae Adams falls a few spots. Uh, I'm not necessarily targeting Saquon right there. Um, if he falls to me maybe in the middle of the second round, I don't think he will. Uh, so for me, he's a guy that I've avoided in drafts this year just because I think the price is a bit too high for, uh, you know, some value that I don't think you're going to get. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things you can, you know, maybe tell yourself a story either way. You know, there's definitely a possibility we come, you know, October, November and Saquon's crushing in and we're all thinking, how did we let him fall? But by the same time, I think, you know, in the first round like that, it's OK to be a little risk averse again we have on today zach hanshu he's on twitter at zach the monster does a plethora of content for fantasy pros just like myself nfl nba is quick grades coming back this year quick grades is back um i did a preseason edition at the beginning of july and we've had uh, one or two changes since then so uh, I'm going to have an updated version of that out sometime this week. It's going to be the same article, just with some tweaks to it. Uh, and then we'll be back every Friday during the regular season for quick grades. Yes, sir. Okay, great. Yeah, anyone who you know has been following me for baseball over the past year or so knows probably Mike Mayer has taken that idea of quick grades and been doing it for MLB this season. But it's the exact same idea. You know, you want to get a little overview of who you should be starting in your lineups come each Sunday. You know, Zach's quick grades piece on fantasy pros is a must. Someone who has really, yeah, of course, man. Someone who has really stood out for me this preseason has been Raheem Mostert. Now we were talking a little bit offline before coming on. And I think one of the notes that you sent over to me was, you know, fading the San Francisco quarterbacks and running backs. And I didn't know if I should take that as a direct hit on, you know, kind of my little fancy football brand I've been trying to develop here this summer, but that's more or less what you did with that. Yeah, I I don't necessarily, I don't know that I would fade them entirely, but I mean, with Mostert, with Mostert looking so good, I think the thought for a lot of the preseason was they kind of kept him under wraps. They didn't play him. And you know, he came out the other day as we were talking offline and he was just, he looked electric, right? So I think the idea that people were thinking, man, Trey Sermon's going to be a value. He's going to be awesome. He's the back to have, uh, you know, Jeff Wilson is uh, on the pup. Uh, Mostert's not, you know, going to be injured. So it's going to be the Trey Sermon show. And with both of them healthy, I, I just don't know which one you want to value more highly, what that timeshare is going to look like. Um, you know, people think San Francisco is a run first team all the time. They, they have all these rushing attempts. That's not the case. They just have a lot of electric and speedy backs who are super efficient with their touches and can take the, you know, take it to the house. We've seen it with Matt Breda. We saw it with Mostert, like you mentioned. So I don't necessarily know which guy that I want. Um, I, I think Mostert and, and Sermon are both now in that RB2 to, RB3 range. I think they're more in the RB3 range, mid mid RB3. 
So at that point, if you're getting them at a decent value, sure, if they fall a little bit to you in drafts, but I I don't know, man. I'm not paying a super premium price for either guy, despite, you know, looking good in the preseason. This is what I love about, you know, being able to talk things like this through, you know, on a podcast or in person or, you know, anything like that, because too often on Twitter, you know, the takeaways are either this is good or bad. Moster is either amazing or Trey Sermon sucks or, you know, we tend to, you know, jump to conclusions on, you know, online or whether you, you just read headlines or things like that. And I think one thing that I'm definitely trying to do with the show is kind of like muddy up the waters for people and try to help bring the idea to light that fantasy football is a lot more gray than we often want it to be. And because like I look at, you know, the and first of all, by the way, you know, discourse over you know, fantasy takes is, is yeah. to be encouraged, right? Again, that's another sure. thing where Twitter can suck the fun out of it. But, uh, you know, you don't always want all your, you know, quote unquote experts and analysts to be agreeing or else there'd be no point in, you know, playing the games and everyone's going to be right or wrong sometimes. But uh, so for me, I look at most and sermon and just the acquisition cost isn't that high. So I'm kind of willing to take on, you know, some of that risk of, oh, I'm not exactly sure which one, it's going to be, I'm just going to take one of them. Maybe I get lucky. And, you know, if, if the other gets injured or one of them just really outplays the other, then you could, you know, get a lot of profit from where, from what that ADP was when you first took them. Right. And, and I agree with that. So like I had a draft yesterday, I got Mostert in the seventh round. So his ADP right now is 59. He was available in the, I think it was pick 82 or something like that that's fine for me. Like that, that is, that's awesome value, I think. Um, but any higher than that, I don't know if I want to take him in the fifth round. Um, you know, his last two seasons, his 16 game pace is 181 touches, which again, you don't need to have, uh, you know, 250 touches to be an RB one. Um, but what's the ceiling with 181 touches, especially when you have a talented rookie that they traded up to get, uh, th- to me, it's what's the ceiling versus what you're paying. Uh, uh, exactly what you touched on. Um, I just don't know what that timeshare is going to look like. So, uh, yeah, it's it's just it's a murky situation, man. That idea of price sensitivity, I think, is also really important. Like you said, the difference between a fifth round versus seventh round. You know, once you get into the double digits for me, you know, I kind of more or less throw ADP out the window. If there's someone you like, go get them. But the difference, you know, between a second and a fourth is massive. The difference between a fifth and a seventh is massive. So I I, I do agree with you there. And, you know, you want to have that valuation of a player and go from there. And a, another player who's kind of transitioning into, for me, I think is I'm, he's I'm going to get outpriced is Gus Edwards because we just were coming off the J.K. Dobbins injury and Edwards value is going to skyrocket to me. If I don't already have Gus Edwards, I don't really want to, you know, invest more in getting him. Well, I'll get into kind of, you know, the backup role there for a sec. But does does that make sense to you? Or are you just, you know, this is Gus Edwards job. Like, let's go get him in drafts. I, I mean, we have 10 days till the season kicks off. So I guess we'll find out if Baltimore brings a running back in and, and what that ends up doing for Gus Edwards value and maybe what Baltimore thinks about him as their starting running back. But as it stands right now, I'm totally comfortable drafting him as a top 20 running back, maybe even a little bit more. 
I mean, he led Baltimore in rushes last year, even ahead of J.K. Dobbins. Um, you know, Baltimore's led the league in, in rushing attempts three years straight. Uh, it, you know, between him, Dobbins, and Ingram last year, they combined for 350 rushes. So somebody's going to be running the ball. And even with Lamar Jackson getting his, the running backs are going to see a ton of work. Do I think Justice Hill is going to take a ton of work from him? No. Um, I think this is definitely Gus Edwards' job. Obviously, he's a little less valuable in uh, you know any sort of PPR format. He's not really a pass catcher. But if you're just looking for pure volume on an excellent team, uh, an efficient rusher, Gus Edwards is your guy, and I don't see why you wouldn't pay you know top twenty value for him. Yeah, I think this is a situation too. So there was I read a report today from you know Jameson Hensley, a beat writer for the Ravens, talking about uh, Tyson. I might be pronouncing this wrong. Tyson Williams, he's an undrafted running back in Baltimore, and that he had surpassed Justice Hill as the team's number two running back. So now I'm looking at the situation and I go back to the splits last year. And it's kind of since, uh, you know, this Lamar Jackson era has been underway in Baltimore. It kind of has been a committee backfield. So now I'm starting to wonder, you know, yes, Gus Edwards is going to be the clear lead guy. But is there going to be someone who's now going to step into the Gus Edwards role in that situation? You know, maybe that is if you're just picking him up off waivers or you're using your last round pick on him that that could be profitable. So maybe it will be Hill. You know, you don't want to go crazy over an undrafted guy just because one beat reporter wrote him up. But that's just, you know, trying to get that extra 2% edge in our fantasy football leagues. If this Tyson Williams guy is something and then Edwards goes down, then you have, you know, possible huge profit potential. So that's just the type of thing that I'm looking at. And I think you made a great point too about, you know, what the Ravens do in the next 10 days because rosters are not set in stone. Labor Day weekend's coming up. There's going to be a ton of cuts happening this week. It always happens around this time of year. And those are, you know, someone could still bring in Todd Gurley or Le'Veon Bell. Those are really important things to be monitoring. For sure, man. What was it? Two years ago, I think the Chiefs, Damian Williams, he had like a third round ADP. Everyone was really excited about him. And then they brought in LaShawn McCoy like five, six days before the season, something like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So those are, you know, situations you want to monitor because some of those fragile running backs, it could be Gus Edwards right now. It could be Miles Gaskin or Mike Davis. Some of those guys can get a little, uh, their values can shift a lot yeah. in the upcoming days. Absolutely, man. And Tyson Williams, that a guy that you're looking to maybe take a late round flyer on? Yeah, again, you know, he his prospect profile isn't strong. He's an undrafted guy, but he did impress in the preseason. I'm talking like, you know, deeper leagues. If you got an empty spot, I just put in for him in waivers in a dynasty league. So, you know, little things like that. He's, he's a deeper guy for sure. But I had a couple other takeaways here from the preseason that I kind of need someone to check me on because it's uh, players that I'm excited <laughs> about. And the first one, you know, this is definitely not a deep league guy. It's Josh Allen of the Bills. Buffalo opened with 16 straight pass attempts in Saturday's game against the Packers. To me, that is that is eye-popping. I know it's preseason. We shouldn't get carried away, but the running backs were healthy. And I just I just think, you know, that 
man, the ceiling of, of what could happen to this guy if if Buffalo really does pass, you know, even more than they did last year. Yeah, man. Uh, you're not going to get any checks from me on this one, dude. Uh, Josh Allen is my number one ranked quarterback this year. Uh, wow. I think, yeah, over Mahomes. Uh, I, I think the running back situation in Buffalo is, I don't know, it, it's not one that I'm excited about for fantasy purposes with Singletary or Moss or or anybody in that backfield. Um, you know, Josh Allen is going to be the guy around the goal line, and we saw how big of a step forward he took as uh, you know just a pure passer last year rather than just that mobile quarterback. So, yeah, more passing attempts. I could definitely see that happening after last year. And like you said, man, um, you know, preseason, we can always exaggerate and take it with a grain of salt. But 16 in a row, that's that seems like that's something that's that's just too ridiculous to ignore. So uh, I'm right there with you, man. I love their offensive coordinator, Brian Dabble, so much. And, you know, he was someone some people thought he could get some head coaching buzz this offseason, but then the Bills went kind of deep into the postseason. So he never kind of got the right interview, it seemed, or whatever. But, like, if I'm the Bills, I know he's going to, you know, probably if they have another good season, he's going to be a guy that other teams are going to come after. But if I'm the Bills, like I, I'll do anything to, to keep him because his pairing him with Josh Allen is just so so fruitful for fantasy purposes oh yeah man it's been a match made in heaven so uh, they're gonna keep calling plays for him all year uh i definitely think uh, yeah allen to the moon dude part of the reason i'm excited about josh allen is because i did a lot of research this year on uh quarterbacks like macro level strategy for fantasy and you know, the idea that some of these guys are becoming a little bit more predictable on a year-to-year basis because of the rushing, because those rushing stats can be a little stickier season to season. You're not as reliant on, you know, a pocket passer's touchdown rate, which that has proven to be volatile. You know, one year Drew Brees could have a ton of touchdown luck and then the next year not. But with the rushing guys, you know, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, their floors are so high that when they have those spiked either weeks or seasons passing, it's, you know, it's, it's through the roof for fantasy. So based on that, then you're saying that Josh Allen could see some regression this year. He has a high floor based on the rushing, but touchdowns because they're not so sticky. You think he's going to fall back to earth a little bit in that regard. I, you know, you're, you're kind of uh, talking me into something (laughs) I didn't want to say there. (laughs) No, I, I'm a I'm a Josh Allen fan. I think that you know there's also another outcome of this where the Bills they had the fourth highest neutral pass rate last year. I think it was about 64 percent, and it could go even higher this year. Again, it's just one preseason game. You don't want to get carried away. But I do think we should sometimes in fantasy try to look more for outliers than we do. I hear so much talk about you know even in the first second round play it safe, and then it's you know oh but then take a risk late and draft Tony Pollard and. To me, it's, you know, we're we're not just looking at a guy busting or not busting. We're looking at range of outcomes. And I think, you know, Josh Allen has a range of outcomes where the Bills just become the pass heaviest team the league's ever seen this year. And he's still running running in at the goal line. And it's, you know, one of the craziest quarterback seasons. So uh, thank you for not checking me on that. I appreciate that. but so I, I did what I did was my just talking about quarterbacks there. I put it into an article for the site Fancy Pros called uh, the ultimate 
uh, geez, I'm blanking on the exact name, but it was like the ultimate fantasy football guide to quarterbacks. And you have done the same article, but for running backs and wide receivers, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned about, you know, how you want to draft teams this season from writing those pieces? Yeah, man. Um, and I saw your article, dude, it was uh, awesome job. And I've, I, I definitely looked at your macro strategies, which I thought were really cool. So um, anybody that's listening to this, definitely check out Brendan's work on the site. Um, so from my, my takeaway is um, pretty much just I, I'm going to end up saying a lot of cliches and just kind of repeating some stuff that's probably been thrown out. But it, it's useful information is that hammer those running backs early, it, you know, load up on running backs. It's a position that it, it definitely has a clear drop off, uh, definitely has some you know, tiers, you know, the top three, McCaffrey, uh, Kamara, and Dalvin Cook. And then after that, there's a fall off. And then after those first 12 to 15 guys, there's a lot, a lot of question marks there. And even even in the back of, you know, the running back one group, uh, like we talked about, Saquon Barkley, um, or even somebody like Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, if the Colts struggle, if their offensive line. So I, I think there's definitely... Uh, it's good to load up on those top tier studs at running back. Um, if you do end up with a dis, you know, maybe a, a bad draft position there, uh, you know, pick nine or 10, for instance, in the first round, uh, you know, take what the draft gives you. If you have to take Devontae Adams and then grab another running back after that, go and do that. Um, but for me, it's load up on running backs early. Um, wide receiver is such a deep position. You can get starters so late in drafts. I got Tyrell Williams as my last pick in a draft yesterday, and we know Brashad Perryman got cut today. Um, so things like that are, are lessons that I've learned. Um, and just be flexible. I mean, I think that's what most analysts are saying now when you talk, you know, when you read their draft advice is take what the draft gives you. Don't be afraid to, um, you know, kind of pivot a little bit from the strategy that you might you know, that you might want to go with heading into the draft. Yeah. It sounds very, you know, I don't know what the word is old, just like old schooler. Uh, it sounds, you know, historic to say like, uh, you know, I'm going into the draft and I'm taking two running backs with my first two picks, no matter what, you know, no, <laughs> no matter what happens. Like, right. And, you know, I don't, I think that, you know, in general, we've kind of, you know, moved away from that advice in the fantasy industry and the industry has gotten a lot sharper, even in the past, like five years, I feel like, I mean, compared to 20 years ago, obviously, you know, we're miles down the road, but I even think compared to, you know, every year, I think the industry is getting smarter and uh, you know, it's something that we want to keep up with. And a lot, a lot of what you're saying, like some of those things, you know, are cliche, they might be cliches. You want to start with, you know, one or two running backs, but then, um, if, if that's, you know, honestly, like the best advice, then, then it's worth it to keep going with that. I looked at uh, your wide receiver piece and I, I'm just, you know, floored by the amount of receivers that can be had in, you know, rounds three, four, five, six. One of my biggest things this year has been targeting, you know, receivers during that range. Because I also think there's a bit of a, you know, of a sneaky teardrop there. You alluded to the, to the running back teardrop, but I think it happens at wide receiver around, you know, that round six seven mark and there's still guys but it just it's a it's on a different tier of bankability i think so 
I kind of, you know, don't want to just have one or maybe two receivers heading into those double digit rounds. I don't know if that's something you've come around to at all either. Yeah, I, you know, the zero, zero wide receiver strategy, um, you know, is something that gets talked about a little bit is kind of with the zero running back strategy. I think zero wide receivers a little bit, a little bit more trendy and a little bit more popular maybe. Um, but I, I'm not necessarily in that vein either. Uh, I think if you want to get uh, an elite running back or and pair him with a Devontae Adams, a Tyreek Hill, uh, DeAndre Hopkins or Ridley, uh, you know, one of those top tier Stephon Diggs, one of those top tier studs. I think that's a great idea uh, because you know what you're getting there. Um, any of these guys that you get later in drafts, wide receivers, you know, they're sleepers for a reason, right? They're not guaranteed. Um, so I could go into, you know, round seven and grab Robbie Anderson because I think, man, the connection with Sam Darnold is going to just be tremendous. He's going to be amazing and he's going to be my wide receiver one. Well, shoot. Now Sam Darnold prefers DJ Moore and Terrace Marshall and Robbie Anderson is left in the dust goofing around on the bench. So those are those are kind of the things that I, I definitely agree with you on that. I want to take an elite you know, wide receiver early and then take some shots later in the draft. It's exactly the macro strategy you talked about earlier is be a little, you know, risk averse early on and take some shots later. Uh, not to say that Robbie Anderson is a, a risky player, but, you know, just kind of an example there of things that can happen later in your drafts. Yeah, I'm looking at, you know, I just pulled up the Fancy Pros ECR. And a lot of the names that excite me are rookies, you know, among receivers who could be late round picks. And I think one thing that I know I am guilty of is during the offseason, we spend so much time on the NFL draft. And then so many of, you know, mini camp storylines are about rookies and even early training camp stories is that I become so enamored with these guys. But we got to remember it's it takes them a while you know, to integrate their games to the NFL level. And, you know, historically, rookies have performed better in the second half of the season than they have in the first half. So that's just something that I'm trying to have in the back of my mind. I still, I'm watching Terrace Marshall these past few preseason games, and I, 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 I kind of need him <laughs> at this point, <laughs> even with that, you know, trying to stay composed about my, you know, excitement for some of these rookies. But Terrace Marshall, just to, you know, cap off our discussion here today as someone else who caught my eye this preseason he's caught nine of 12 targets for 181 yards and a touchdown that's over 20 yards per reception he kind of gets billed as this oh well he'll be the third uh receiver on the panthers or you know oh he's going to be the big slot role but so far they're using him like deep down the field and he's getting yards after catch and everything so i am i'm really excited he's kind of you know my last you know big takeaway as we head into you know, that prime of draft season I was talking about. Yeah, man. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know how interesting of a podcast this will be if I just keep agreeing with you, but, uh, I definitely think Terrace Marshall, man, he has a shot to be a fantasy relevant receiver this season. So Curtis Samuel is in Washington now. So, um, obviously Terrace Marshall is going to fill that role. Uh, for what it's worth, in 2020, DJ Moore, wide receiver 22, Robbie Anderson, wide receiver 24, and Samuel, wide receiver 25. So all three of those guys bunched right up there at the back end of wide receiver two rankings. Um, so, you know, this offense can support three very relevant receivers. Um, I, 
obviously Teddy Bridgewater was feeding targets to Mike D last year and a lot more targets are going to go to Christian McCaffrey this year. So, you know, we're, we're not going to see quite as many targets available to wide receivers. I don't think, um, and of course, Dan Arnold, the tight end, is probably going to be, uh, you know, an upgrade to any tight end they've had over the last few years since Greg Olson left. Um, but I definitely, I think the upgrade at quarterback is pretty significant. I really like Sam Darnold now that he's away from the Jets and Adam Gase. Um, and I think Terrace Marshall, man, like you said, he's explosive. He can he can take it to the house. Um, he can certainly be relevant in this offense. Um, and if you want to take a late flyer on him. I think hype's building for him a little bit, but if you can get him uh, later in drafts, I mean, he could be a decent wide receiver three if, if you know, if everything falls right. Yeah, it's a reminder again of, of that excellent point you made about most sort of price sensitivity is, you know, you, you want to get in on guys at the right range and not just, again, going back to the idea of like, oh, I'm just leaving my draft with this guy no matter what. We don't want to be doing that, but right. Zach, just as we're closing up here, I want to, you know, thank you for coming on and talking this through with me. You and I were just talking before this, how we've both kind of been with Fantasy Pros a, a similar-ish amount of time, and we've done a lot of similar roles. But, man, this was a delight to talk to you. Again, I can't recommend Zach's quick grades enough. I know I've used them for lineup building throughout the seasons. It's something to keep an eye out for this year. I appreciate it, man. Um, and just to echo those same sentiments, uh, you know, Brendan's work over at Fantasy Pros is unrivaled. Um, you know, this dude does MLB. He's dipping his toes in, in fantasy football and actually not just dipping his toes, but just diving headfirst into it, man. His football content has been, uh, it's just been A plus, man. Um, so this was definitely a delight. Brendan is one of the nicest dudes I've ever worked with in the fantasy industry, managing the news desk at Fantasy Pros and just kind of some back and forth on Twitter and email and everything. So, uh, yeah, this was a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate that, Zach. This has been Zach Cantu at Zach the Monster on Twitter. This has been Brendan Tuma on Twitter at Too Much Tumor. And once we sign off, we can get back to our the things we truly love discussing, and that's SpongeBob memes and Pokemon. Oh, that's it, brother. There's I mean you throw some Simpsons in there and we're all set for the evening, dude. <laughs> <laughs>